0: the wonder snail i'm your co-host jason and i'm here with my co-host tim hey tim
1: hey jason how are you today
0: oh i'm doing all right going into the summer season
1: yeah i can't believe here we are we're past memorial day did you have a a good holiday
0: i did just very restful just watching the cardinals you know the usual
1: can't beat some good Cardinals baseball over a holiday weekend. It just feels like summer. Um, I love what's happening with Goldie at the moment.
0: Oh, yeah. Could be an MVP season.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, for our listeners, they probably noticed that we've been absent for a little while. And, Comrade, you have a story to tell that explains why Zippy hasn't been zipping over the airwaves in about a month.
0: That's right. Well, uh, the snail was parked uh, the last several weeks because I had COVID, so I'm still struggling with some symptoms, but I'm getting through it, so if any of you have not um, gotten vaccinated, uh, you should, uh, and it's something that's very, very important because I got one of our so-called mild cases, and it's been a disaster, so um, don't get it. If you can. Yeah, it, it
1: sounds like it was um, really, really rough for a so-called mild case, uh, especially the the start starting point you found yourself in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there was, a, you know, just a really bad night that first night. And uh, my mother stayed with me. And it was concerning at parts, but I was still at home. and But just very, very, very tough. And so people... Don't take it lightly and it's not over. Um let's continue to be careful where we can. I think that's the best thing I can say right now.
1: Yeah, so let's see now. Uh when did you get it? It was right at the beginning of May at some point. So you're at about a month now, right?
0: Yeah, I started showing uh, started showing symptoms very late on May the 9th. Um and and here we are at the end of May. Uh so I'm still struggling with small symptoms, a uh, little bit of congestion, a little bit of cough. But yeah, was, and various things will come up, You're, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, you know, different things. So <clears throat> not good.
1: And you you were talking before the show a bit about just the exhaustion you've been experiencing. Maybe um, I, I think that's something that, that can kind of get overlooked uh, where, you know, someone Looks healthy again, um, and yet that's a symptom that seems to linger for a lot of people. Maybe you'd like to talk about that,
0: yeah, I think it, it you'll just be sitting there, and in the next moment, you'll feel like you're out of breath, um just completely out of breath i'm not I'm not having that symptom to that degree anymore, but when it was at the peak, it was really i go, man, I would say funny stuff like man, I got to sit down. And I'm always sitting down. So just sitting there watching TV, it's not like I was running a marathon, you know? So very, very serious. And hope everybody stays COVID-free, at least for as long as they can. And again, if you haven't been vaccinated, please do, seriously. It's not worth it to get it.
1: It really makes me wonder if we've... um jumped the gun, and I, I know I pretty much said this several months ago, but I really do wonder if things like removing masks, um, going back to quote-unquote normal, not, you know, pausing everything going into lockdown, but going back to normal to, to the degree that we have is a mistake. Um, you and I were talking right before the, the show about a, a new study that suggests that even though the CDC has been advocating for five days after testing positive to isolate that the data continues to show what we thought earlier, which is that people remain contagious after that. So we're sending people back out without masks and increasing the spread. And it seems, especially as you're sharing about what you've been through, it, it just seems like we could do some common sense measures that would greatly reduce the spread.
0: I, w- I was absolutely at 15 or 16 days and going, I, I have to be infectious at this point. This is really bad. Um, so I agree with what you just said, and I think maybe um at the local level in consultation <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> consultation with citizens, you know we can take certain measures that would help um it's not over it's not over that's that's the theme of this segment here um let's be careful and let's try to take care of each other.
1: Well, comrade, I'm just sorry that that you've had to go through this. It, it's such a horrible experience, and I'm thankful that you weren't hospitalized. And obviously, from what we saw early on in pre-vaccine, it could be way worse. And yet, it, it still seems like it, it's kind of hard for me to get my head around, even though I've been on the definitely more cautious side with it. it it's It's still weird to think that we live in a world where there's this virus floating around that that can really disrupt life in a way that, that the viruses we're used to dealing with didn't. I mean, even the flu, it could knock you down for a while, but but this seems worse.
0: Right. Absolutely right. I mean, we lose, what, 35,000 people to the flu every year, which is a lot. Um, but this is, you know, we crossed over the 1 million barrier with, with COVID a couple of weeks ago and uh, here in the U.S. And what what a tragedy that is. And Granted, yes. a lot of it was before we could protect ourselves in any way, really. Um, but those numbers are still pretty grim. And so it's it, it's just a sad thing. And we're going through kind of a traumatic thing on a scale that we just couldn't anticipate, you know, all over the world like this and disrupting life. E- even those who are, you know, having... um political objections to the way that it's disrupting life. In the end, we have to recognize, you know, it's not anything so much that governments are doing. It's what the virus is doing to our lives. So it is disruptive. It is quite annoying, but more importantly, it's dangerous, this virus. So let's keep protecting ourselves. You know, it's
1: interesting. You obviously had and you'd shared this before, some pretty strong reactions to, uh, was it your booster or your original um, shot?
0: Well, one of the the original doses and the booster was really tough. Yeah, Yeah. so the second second Pfizer dose was really tough and then the booster was, I almost called the ambulance on that booster. So, uh, but having had COVID uh, and so-called mild case, I'm very, very thankful that I got that booster shot because who knows how bad it could have been uh, without that booster. Yeah.
1: yeah. I thought it was telling that you were mentioning that you would uh, go and get another booster after what you've been through with the boosters, that given what you experienced going through COVID, it'd be worth it to you to go ahead and get another booster. And I, I think that, to me, is telling for all of us listening that, have been fortunate enough not to experience COVID. Um, it, it, it's revealing to me,
0: even just for twenty to four, twenty-four to forty-eight hours, and I and I've had it for weeks. You know, symptoms for weeks. It's it's nothing like you've experienced before, uh, in my opinion. So you yeah. you feel like it's a different illness. You know, even if okay. Sniffles are kind of annoying. Congestion's kind of annoying. Other diseases do that. But when COVID's going through your body, you know. Uh, I don't want to get weirdly mystical about it, but you know.
1: Yeah. So so you had a pretty good sense when you took your COVID test, you already had a pretty good sense that it was COVID?
0: Pretty much right before I took I took a home test on Wednesday the 10th. Um, and I knew before I even took the test it was COVID because it was a cough that wouldn't go away. And and I cough for lots of things. I mean, I have a disability. Coughing happens. You know, I've had pneumonia a bunch of times. I know what it's like to be coughing a lot. But normally, even with pneumonia, you get a break somewhere in there. Um, and for about 20 minutes or so, there was no break. And I was like, this is different. This is strange. So I knew. And then when it came up positive, I was like, of course it did.
1: It makes me wonder what we do as a society long-term, especially with what we're seeing, where it seems like even getting it doesn't offer long-term immunity. I know a lot of people had sort of the mindset, well, let's get herd immunity by just letting it go flying through society. And and then we'll get past it, but it doesn't seem like COVID works that way. And so one thing that we haven't really solved yet as a society, but I think we're going to need to, is how do we live with COVID present if it means that all of us can get it and get it multiple times, and it can take us out for long periods of time every time it occurs. And, uh, you know, what precautions should we be taking? Um, what kind of vaccine process would be good to try to shut down as much as possible. You know, there are new vaccines on the horizon that that target specifically some of the variants and the hope is maybe they have a longer lasting power or maybe they can be administered using a different technology rather than mRNA that that might last longer than the current vaccines. Um, But I think there's a lot of questions we really don't know the answers to still.
0: Right, are we going to get seasonal waves? Is it something routine like... You know, during the fall and winter, okay, we're going into our our COVID phase. We're going to do these protections. I mean, it sounds like a sci-fi movie, but, you know, where's the end of this?
1: Yeah. You know, what's, what's worrisome to me is that right now, at least, we seem to be on a sort of two-wave-a-year uh, pattern. We ha- seem to have a winter wave, and we also seem to have a summer wave, which if you're watching the numbers clearly right now, we are on the upswing of a wave. And so it's um it brings real questions because even the flu, at least we know, I mean, occasionally you'll hear about someone who gets the flu in the middle of July, but it's really rare. Uh, usually, you, you know, it, it's going to be that time between, say, here in Missouri, November and March, you kind of have two patterns. You have the, the type, the influenza A that that goes through, and in the influenza B usually separately, um, and you kind of can manage it. You you can manage when to get the vaccination for it to try to minimize the likelihood. And and of course, those aren't perfect either. I I've had a number of years where I've gotten a flu shot and then gotten the flu, and and hopefully it reduced the severity. Although um, a lot of times the flu shot is less effective than what we're seeing with the COVID shots. Um but at least it's contained a certain part of the year, and we're not seeing that with covid um so you know uh, hopefully hopefully we get a better grasp on it in the coming uh months but but it sure seems like we may have declared victory a little too soon
0: yeah that that's not that's not new for us in the United States to declare victory a little too soon, but that's for another discussion,
1: yeah, uh yeah, let's not hang up any mission accomplished banners, huh.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: Well, comrade, you know, a lot of things in life are things that we can't get wrapped up quickly. And certainly that's been true of COVID, but other things, even positive things in life. We we frequently have long-term projects and long-term goals, and we're looking out in the distance and we can't complete them. And I I think that's one reason it's often relaxing and enjoyable to spend a little time playing a game that can be self-contained and completed in, say, a few minutes or a few hours. And and one of the things I love about playing games like Wordle that you can go on every day and you take, sometimes you know it might be two or three minutes, sometimes some of them will really get into my head and it takes me several tries coming back. But I know at the end of the day that game is over, and and most of the time I, I do succeed in decoding it, occasionally I miss, but it's done in a 24-hour period. I love Word to Day games, and so that's why we now have two different Word to Day games from faithtree.com, the newest of which is anagrammel.com, where you take the letters from a word in the Bible, and you see how many words and of what point value you can arrange up to five. You can only pick five words, but you try to get the ones with the most points, and it gives you a score every day. It's a, it's a nice, simple activity. If you enjoy word games, you can you can play along, get to see a common or not so common biblical passage in the process. And if you just need a break from the things you can't get done, you can go and play for five or ten minutes, have a little fun, maybe play against some friends, share your scores, and see who can come out ahead each day. And it, it's just a way to take a break from the normal hassles of life. And so I hope that. Our listeners will take a look at our sponsor, Anagrammel.com Also on the list of things that are unending are the debates and the, the snares of politics in the United States. It seems like we always have some controversy going on, something to, to be outraged about and, so, comrade, we thought what we'd look at a few of them, and we wouldn't just stick on one for too long. But we're gonna go through some of the things that are currently occupying all of our brains, and and just do some quick takes on them. So let let's start with um, the leak from the Supreme Court a few weeks ago. Uh, big news, uh, unique news. It doesn't happen like this, right?
0: Yeah, this is this is unprecedented in the court's history that someone would would leak a draft document, and they do. Um, I was aware that they do circulate presumptive drafts of opinions as they discuss, and they find out where each other are, and then they discuss some more. So, But this was going to be a draft of the majority opinion in the Dobbs case, and it was leaked by Politico. Um, And obviously to put pressure on the court one way or the other, um, we're of the same mind that I, I hope they find this person and they change their procedures there at the Supreme court and maybe who they hire um at the court. So yeah, yeah. I think it's really bad and hopefully it doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really disturbing. And I, I think It's troubling to me because I want our justices to be circulating opinions amongst themselves and refining them because these opinions have um, huge, huge implications for our society. Certainly this one does, but a lot of them do. And so the last thing you want is for them to have to be so afraid that it might leak out that they're not getting good insight from their colleagues, the ones that agree with them and the ones that don't even, to ensure that the decisions are the best possible decisions being issued and with the implications thought out and so on. It seems like this is a, a risk to that. Kind of makes me wonder why they aren't putting in some kind of of uh, digital watermark. You could easily do something that would be almost imperceptible, but would slightly alter the style of the font below the level that the human eye can see or would be imprinted into the paper or... Or, or any number of other things where each copy distributed would be different. And so you'd know exactly who leaked it. I'm surprised on something this sensitive, they don't do that, but um, they need to do something. This, this certainly should Going happen. forward. Yeah, yeah. Going
0: forward. They may well do that. Yeah.
1: It's a real question though, isn't it? I mean, as far as this particular situation, you, you hope that they figure out who the leaker is so that appropriate action can be taken. But, but I, I genuinely wonder if they ever will.
0: Yeah, I I hope it doesn't um, have some sort of permanent chilling effect on the court. Um, And, you know, maybe not want people um, make people not want to work, work with the court and for the court. Um, So we'll see.
1: Yeah. um, Now, your theory you were saying before the show is that you think it's a law clerk that went ahead and leaked
0: it. Yeah. I think it was one of the clerks, and I and I told I also told you off the air that I I thought it was a progressive clerk. There's been some chatter that it's part of a conservative conspiracy to kind of lock it, um, and I don't I don't think that's true. I think <laughs> excuse me, somebody that favors abortion rights um, is the one that leaked it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to agree just based on what I've seen from the conservative side of the court and its reaction to the leak. It doesn't sound like you have a bunch of pro leakers there. Now it could be a big front. Um but I, I tend to agree with you on that. Um I, I just hope they figure it out. And it it's notable to me that we've gone the entire history of the United States without a complete draft leaking before. So this is It's huge, and it's disturbing, and um, it'll be interesting to see how we go forward and and how it affects the court. Um, I I don't always agree with Roberts, but one thing I do appreciate about him is his desire to keep the court above the political fray, um, where it feels like it's an actual genuine judicial institution rather than the partisan machine we try to turn it into, and and I hope this doesn't accelerate the process of, of making it into simply another political machine.
0: Yeah, completely agree.
1: Well, before we move on from that, let's just talk very briefly. And of course, it's a draft decision, so things could change. You know, we don't want to necessarily assume the final decision will be exactly what's been leaked, although there's good reason to think it it, it could very well be. Um, but your thoughts on the decision itself?
0: Well, I think it'll be wonderful if it sticks pretty close to uh, what Alito said in the draft. I think. Roe and Casey are terrible decisions in the history of our country, and the sooner they're overturned, the better. And frankly, um, even if other progressive decisions are also threatened by the absence of Roe, so much the better. Uh, So I'm enthusiastic. I'm happy. I think we'll see um, a concurring opinion from Justice Roberts, I don't think he'll join the minority in voting against the plaintiffs in the the Dobbs case, but I think uh, he won't use the exact reasoning of the majority. Um, so a concurring opinion there. But I'm thrilled.
1: I concur because it seems like and, and really, as a, a pro-life person, I, I have to say that I haven't read through the whole opinion, but the, the parts I've skimmed through at this point, um, I read it and I want to cheer it on. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is a really good opinion, I think. And it, it goes to the heart of the matter, which is while the court tries not to override precedent, there, there have been times where it needed to. And Alito goes into that, looking at some of the the racial decisions of the past that were just horrible, that the court needed to go back and say this was wrong, and he makes the comparison that this is like that. So, so I I, I very much appreciate his vigor in the draft. Um, but but knowing Roberts' desire to keep the court very stable and and um, sort of above the normal. Volume of the political discourse in our country, I, I think it's very unlikely that Roberts could sign on to that draft opinion, even if he agrees with a lot of it. And so I, I think you're right that, that a concur- concurring opinion with some dissent in it on certain points is probably probably the most likely thing we'll see from the Chief Justice.
0: I noticed something. I, I saw some interesting things with respect to the draft that was leaked. Um, there There was a, conservative commentator, and I don't know who he is. I don't think he has a job writing columns or anything, but his name's James Haney, and he pointed out in a Substack stack that um, Alito is completely on the ground of substantive due process instead of originalist ground. So the other thing that's interesting will be between uh, advocates of Substantive due process and originalists um, and others, and see how that shakes out with respect to the, uh, the Dobbs decision. So uh, that could provide lots of opportunities for various concurring opinions and dissenting opinions um, based on the various schools, um, on the relation between the, the court, uh, the legislature, and the people. So we'll see what goes on there.
1: What would be the difference between a substantive and a a originalist position? I I think that's a a good uh, place you're going there.
0: Well, I should have done more preparation on this. Um, But substantive due process, uh, it would be something that's embedded in the customs uh, and the mores of the people So, so much that it doesn't need to be stated and then originalists would be uh, hewing to the original meaning of a text uh, in the time as it was written in some sort of document. So uh, substantive due process is more like, like mores or implied cultural expectations, and then originalism focuses on what's been written down these are the words that we wrote down in some document, and it's going to have this meaning, because it had this meaning in this time. So is that helpful at all?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it, it does kind of give us maybe a, a sense of where we're going uh, with the court, it, assuming nothing dramatic changes. Like Obviously, once this leaked out, there was a lot of talk from Democratic commentators that, and that sort of um, side of the aisle um, that... Now, this was a a great reason to go ahead with court packing and so on, which I I still have a hard time believing that we'll actually get there. But certainly one thing that you and I were talking about is this does add more weight to the midterm elections. And one thing that bothered me in the 2020 election um, is that, and you'd hear this somewhat from moderates on both sides, that the way things were, is so fixed at this point that it really wasn't relevant. Nothing was going to change. And so, for example, um, I believe David French made that argument. A number of other conservative commentators made the argument that the Supreme Court was never going to overturn Roe, so voters shouldn't even factor in uh, that desire into their their choices in federal elections. And certainly this has thrown that out the window. Uh, Clearly, elections have made a difference, um, but it perhaps even has more weight now because if the court does in fact go forward and pulls Roe out, uh, it's no longer on the table as an influence in how things are in our our law, then the question is, what is Congress going to pass or going to try to pass? Uh, What are we going to see individual states pass? A lot of big questions that suddenly make the upcoming midterm elections all the more important depending on where you fall on these issues.
0: Uh, I would say my reaction to all of that is to say that the pro-life movement has been winning at the local and state levels for quite a long time. So this is this is what their opposition has been fearing because without the court's decisions in Roe and Casey um, the pro-life side is already winning. They've already succeeded in passing a ton of Laws at local and state levels. Um, yes, when you ask people about abortion in polling, you get mixed results. And, and maybe in a sense, we should expect that on such a, a, a tender topic. Um, but the, the pro life side is certainly winning. That's why you see um, kind of extremism, liberal extremism wanting to codify Roe uh, legislatively. Uh, through Congress, Um, I sort of snarkily said, well, I'm glad somebody's discovered the other branches of government. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't think they'll find much success there. But to David French's point that you mentioned, the pro-life work is not over once the decision gets handed down, because we have to win in every state capital and overturn, um, you know, abortion laws in every state. So, It'll be interesting. It'll be a long fight. Yes, not just, it's only the beginning, not the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and certainly one thing we wanted to hit on before we move on to the next segment is just the upcoming midterm elections in general, and and, and what it looks like. You know, clearly, I, I think most Americans, whatever side of the aisle they fall on right now, would say that things aren't going that great. Um, whether it's uh, obviously the, the continued pandemic or inflation or um, just the rancor in the country. Um, it, it seems like it's a bit of a mess right now. And then, of course, we have foreign policy messes as well, trying to figure out exactly what we do with the war with Russia and, and Ukraine, uh, the continued saber rattling from China. There, there's a lot going on, and polling seems to indicate almost everybody feels like it isn't going well. Um, so where do we land in the midterms? What, what do you think that's going to shape up to look like?
0: Well, I have a molten hot lava take, as I told you before we went on the air. Um, I think the Democrats are going to hold the house and the Senate in the midterms. Um, because I'm looking at the numbers and I I think these numbers reflect the, the polling numbers that are out there. I think those numbers reflect that most of the electorate is not yet paying attention. So, um, and it's very close in the numbers that we do have. And as we get closer to the fall, you get more accurate numbers as more and more people that will actually be voting, start getting into the polling. So I think the Democrats are going to hold the house and the Senate, which nobody is saying that. So I'm really going out on a limb of, uh, what are the implications of that? I have no idea. Um I do think they're not necessarily going to be progressive members per se, but more like more like Biden Democrats if we could say it like that. Um and I could be completely wrong. You know, the Republicans could still take the House and the Senate. Uh but I'm the one who threw myself out there. So, uh, we'll see. I I think that part of my reasoning for saying that uh, would be uh, a decline in, the, in inflation by the time we get to the fall, which would be very helpful to the president. I think some of these poll numbers are, uh, some of the presidential approval poll numbers are cooked up and they look a little bit fraudulent to me, um, things like that. So if he can get into the high 40s, which is kind of where you expect a president to be in year two-ish, um, then they'll be okay. So we'll see. I'm going out on a limb there. I know that's crazy. I'm just a political scientist. I think they're setting us up in the media to write a whole bunch of comeback stories uh, for the Democratic politicians. That's just what it feels like over here. So anyway.
1: You'd probably know better than than I. It seems that would be somewhat unusual for the first midterm of a of, of a president to go where it actually worked out in a positive direction. It seems like.
0: Yeah, the only the only one that I can think of is O two, um, President Bush in O two. The Republicans gained seats in the House and the Senate um, in that midterm election. Um, there are others uh, back historically. Uh, before either of us was born, Uh, but not too many. I want to say 1954 was one, Uh, but yeah, it doesn't happen very often, Uh, and it may not happen here. I could be completely wrong.
1: Yeah, It'll it'll be interesting to see, and I suppose there's a lot of things that are out of the president's control, or at least not entirely in his control, that that will play into that, such as how things progress with Russia and how that affects world oil markets and and other markets, right? Because obviously we're seeing a spike in food prices because of the implications of the war in Ukraine as well. Um, it seems like there's a lot of things that really it's going to come down to, as it often does, more luck for the president than um, than actual good policy. Because so often there's a lot of variables that we like to place on whoever is in control at the moment that only have um, some relation to what the president... Can do regardless of his party,
0: right? I, I think the big question is whether sort of the economic anxiety that we're seeing people have will persist through the summer and into the fall. And if it does, then I'm completely completely wrong. And if it does not, uh, then the president may be okay. And things can change really fast. Uh, you know, there's a really funny. SNL skit from the summer of 92 uh, about the Democrats not wanting to challenge President Bush because he looked unbeatable and then in that summer, you know, we had a little bit of a recession, a little bit of a downturn and Bill Clinton took advantage. Now this is a midterm this year, but things can change really fast, so we'll see what happens
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it will be interesting and then there's another factor there which is, who are the candidates? And we're starting to get a better sense for that. But you can make a pretty compelling argument that the current control of the Senate occurred not so much because of general national public mood, but some horrible mismanagement of those two Senate campaigns in Georgia, including some encouragement from our previous president for those who support him not to go to the polls Uh, that he was alleging wouldn't be fair anyway. And so you can make a case that Republicans would control the Senate had things been just a little bit different. And so that could play out here too, it seems like, where depending on who gets nominated uh, and what dirt is found on them and so on, we're we're so close where the balance of power could shift either way. uh, You could easily have a national mood that's going in one direction and still have the power go the other direction.
0: Right. And there have been times in the past... Uh, where um, the races were more uh, individual and local um, and sort of a nationalized election is more common now, but it doesn't mean we can't swing back the other way. So yes, it will depend on the candidates. It will depend on uh, the mood and different places on the ground in the country. And, you know, get out, get out the vote efforts. I mean, turnout is is not as high in a midterm election as it is in presidential elections. So if you're with one of those campaigns and you work really hard, especially in a midterm, it could make all the difference in the world. So we'll see.
1: Well, there's a lot more we'll have to talk about on all that. And we were going to get to, and we'll have to say this for next time, uh, some analysis, particularly of what's going on in Georgia. Speaking of Georgia, Uh, implications from the recent primary that determined that race. Hopefully, we will officially have, by the time that we come back for our next episode, some of those primaries that are still in contention across the country, such as the Republican Senate campaign in Pennsylvania. Hopefully, some of these things will be settled. You also mentioned an interesting House of Representatives race in Texas uh, that deals with the last pro-life Democrat who is was, who was running for re-election. So a lot of these things are still being contended, and, and hopefully we can see where that shapes up in the next few weeks and talk about it more.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, politics can seem out of control. Much of our life seems out of control, and sometimes the weather seems out of control. And I would love to say that I have a weather modification net like we see in Star Trek that could take care of that maybe someday. But in the meantime, you want to go and get accurate weather as you go on your summer travels and know what's coming. Be aware of severe storms, rain and, of course, times where it's just going to be hot and miserable and you don't want to be outside more than you have to be. It's helpful to know what's coming up in the weather, and it's really nice to do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're signing away your life by having all kinds of trackers and obnoxious ads being there to assault you as you're trying to find out simply, what's the weather tomorrow? Do I need an umbrella? And you can do all that by going to faithtree.com weather. faithtree.com weather doesn't have a single ad on it, is just good, old-fashioned, accurate weather coming from several reliable sources. And just for fun, because it is from Faith Tree, it also will give you a scripture verse that relates to the weather of your area or whatever area you look up in the time that you look it up. And don't worry, the next time you're on Facebook after that, you're not going to be getting ads for traveling to wherever you look up the weather. Mm-hmm. The data is not going to be sold. So check out faithtree.com slash weather for your summer travels this year and enjoy a forecast of Good Weather Forecast.
0: So, unfortunately, uh, we had another uh, school shooting um, in Uvalde, Texas. Yes. And 22, 23 people were killed, including the shooter. Uh, 19 little kids and a couple of their teachers trying to save them, and that has renewed discussion of gun control in our country, as always seems to happen when these things happen. Um, No, that's a politically fraught topic, uh, but uh, we were going to talk about how the renewed political conversation leads us to think about um, trusting in God or lack of trust in God uh, how might fear play into uh, whether we choose to do that?
1: Yeah, I, I thought this was an interesting angle that you suggested we take on this because it seems like the entire discourse on how we approach gun control or lack thereof is driven by fear. And And if you're on the pro-gun control side, it's going to be the fear. Look at what's happened. And hopefully any... Any human being can look at what happened in a shooting like last week and say, this is just horrendous. This is horrible. Uh, I, I haven't heard anyone say otherwise, and I'd really worry if someone said, yes, we, we want this. I mean, how how could you? You'd, be, you'd have to be a monster. It, it truly is horrible. Uh, but usually on the pro-gun control side, then you'll see the argument, this is horrible. We have to stop it. The way we're going to stop it is we're going to implement gun control. And, and Oftentimes, that means not even really taking the political temperature and what people are willing to do, but just say we're going to ban guns. We'll we'll do like some European countries or Australia or what have you, and, and that will solve it. And and you know we could have a whole discussion on on the effectiveness of that, whether that would work or not. But it's, it's really driven by if we don't do that, more kids are going to die and more people are going to die, and therefore we need to do it. And then on the pro Second Amendment side, you know the pro, let's make sure everybody can have a gun, maybe we should even issue guns to people. side. I, I'm, I'm speaking a little little sarcastically there, but not really that far from the truth. You have people who argue, if everyone doesn't have a gun, and we don't make sure that everybody can arm up as much as they possibly want, then the government is going to come in and it's going to take control of everything in our lives, and we'll have a military dictatorship in no time. And so, and so really, we we don't have a discussion on what should we do on our gun policy? It's what absolutely apocalyptic, horrible scenario do we want to align ourselves with? And it makes it really hard to have a discussion.
0: Yeah, and look at those horrible people over there and what they want to do to us.
1: Yes, yeah. It's always those other people. Um, And so it does bring down a a question um, that I think, and I, I have friends who are Christians who are on both sides of this debate, it brings a question if, if we're saying one of these two horrible scenarios is how it's going to play out, and if you don't implement our political policy, whatever it is that, that I've aligned myself with, this horribleness is going to happen. It, it does bring up a question, are we really trusting in God?
0: Right. What, what kingdom do we belong to? Uh, like you mentioned, if everyone's armed to the teeth, aren't we in fact living in, fa- in fear? if everyone's armed to the teeth because they feel like they have to be, um, that that's just an arms race. Like the arms races we had in the eighties with the Soviet union on a smaller scale. So are we truly living in peace? And on the other hand, um, you know, there is a legitimate fear about tyranny at some point, but, um, who's really in charge here? Um, <clears throat> do do we have to have our political preferences reflected in everything everywhere to believe that the world is good or can we trust in Jesus who lived who died for us and rose again Amen These are you know these are real questions you know when you when you take up the freedom because here in America we do have the freedom to possess firearms if if we want to. When you take up that freedom, what else are you taking on? You're taking on an increased risk of accidents and suicides and some of the other things uh, that get pointed out. <clears throat> and let's go ahead and have that prudent conversation without um, without getting into the politics. Do I need a firearm, and under what conditions do I need a firearm? And then somebody who lives... on uh, the other side of that debate is somebody who lives in an urban area saying that no one needs these types of guns, and then some, someone living in a rural area where there's wolves and heaven knows what else, uh, where a gun seems to make more sense. Um, you know, we have to bridge those kind of gaps, but we also... You know, what are we trusting in? What is our hope? Is our hope in politics? Is our hope in the results of the midterm elections or even the presidential elections? If it is, then we're in trouble.
1: Yeah, and you and I were talking before the show about how this plays out in churches and one thing that I struggle with and I'm I'm intentionally avoiding speaking to my particular view on this issue as far as political policy. As our longtime listeners know, I try to stay a little bit out of direct partisan comment as a pastor. But one thing that bothers me in the church world is when it seems like churches almost embrace um, gun culture. Um, You know, we're not called to be those of a kingdom that loves anything violent. We're supposed to be those who bring in the Prince of Peace. And i'm not saying that christians shouldn't own guns i'm not going to I'm not even trying to get into that discussion at this moment, but when we see people glorying in guns and their Christianity at the same time, there was a a candidate for Governor in Georgia who was running on a platform that was what God guns and babies um uh, she didn't win um but you know when we try to blur those together, or uh, you and I both know a pastor who was so excited because his, his anniversary of his pastoral ministry at his church was celebrated by giving him a specially engraved gun. Um, it, it just seems a little weird. Um, it seems like it, at least uh, Christians should be approaching guns, if we're going to have them, as something that can be used out of necessity. Um, but especially when we're talking about self-defense type weapons and not hunting, and that's a whole other discussion, but when we're talking about self-defense type weapons, it doesn't seem like the sort of thing we should celebrate as if, it's great I have something I, I might need to shoot somebody with. It's not exciting or good that I might have to shoot somebody. Um, whatever we might think of, of, whether we should be able to or not.
0: Right. I, I think to your point, if we can't imagine a world that doesn't require self-defense with a handgun um, or another type of gun, um, then we need to let the Lord open our imaginations because we want, even if we find ourselves with a need for such a weapon, we should want to live in a world where that's not necessary. Um, And and if we can't even desire that, then the problem is with our desires. Yes. Uh, so, let's desire good things, let's desire peace, and if you choose to use a firearm, please be safe and follow all the rules and the safety measures and and what the government is asking you to do for the lawful uh, use of that right. So, um, and, and obeying the laws, absolutely, is, is a Christian duty uh, based on the text of Romans 13, so... We can at least do that and then go from there and then yeah. think about what is our heart focused on as we consider all these questions? What are we hoping in? Uh, what are we afraid of? Are our fears proportionate to um, the size of our problems?
1: Right. Yeah. And that seems like a, a reoccurring theme we see in the Old Testament and we we see in the prophets. Oftentimes, the people of God would turn and trust, for example, in the power of another country to protect them, or the power of their own abilities to protect them, as opposed to trusting in the Lord. And, and I think that's that's not an Old Testament problem. That's a human problem. Uh, no matter how much we want to trust in God, we we keep reverting to other things we can hold on to. And and thinking about this, I, I was reminded of Jeremiah seventeen. Uh, Jeremiah is speaking to the people who have been trusting in man-made idols rather than the Lord. And he says in verse one, the sin of Judah is written with an iron, a pen of iron, where a point of diamond is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. And he goes on to, to elaborate on that. And then in verse five, this is the part that I think really cuts to a lot of the places we put trust, not just, am I going to have take up arms to to protect my, my loved ones or not? Uh, am I going to get involved in politics in a certain way to protect my world or not? And, you know, that's a lot of what we've been talking about today on the show. But, but all the different ways we trust. Verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And I'm struck by...